Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Oksanya. Everyone in financial services is familiar with Paul Lewis. Paul is um, an award-winning financial journalist and broadcaster, best known as the presenter of the BBC Radio 4 Money Box program. He, of course, regularly appears on other BBC TV and radio programs, including Breakfast, the News Channel. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you indeed. I'm... Uh... I'm flattered and honoured to be here with you because I know you and I don't agree about everything, but uh, I'm glad to be here talking to you. I have incredible respect for, for the work you do and um, it, it's, a, it's a great honour to, to have you on the show. So let's, I, I want to I go back a little bit um, um, into your career. You've had an incredible career um, as, as, as a journalist. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Um, how, how did you get into financial journalism? <laughs> well, I wanted to write. When I was at university, the one thing I really liked doing was writing. And I wanted to be a writer, a journalist, right from the start. But I didn't do that because I went for a job at the local newspaper. And at the time, I had very long hair. Now, you might think this isn't short, but this is very short compared to how my hair was then. And... Uh, at the interview, they mentioned it, you know, and I said, oh, well, if I get the job, I'll cut the, my hair. And they said it might have been a better idea to cut it before the interview, which was a good lesson for me to learn, I think. Anyway, I did a lot of things. I did a bit of teaching. I did, um, I worked for some charities, um, campaigning, uh, and that running one of them eventually. But all the time, the thing I loved doing was explaining things, explaining things to people in a way that they could understand. And when I won, my, I won an award as a journalist for something I'd been doing in my spare time in Saga magazine, the Over 60s magazine, which I did write for regularly, even while I was doing my employment, I thought, well, if I can win a prize in my spare time, I'm going to give up my day job. And so at that moment, I stopped being an employee right. and I became a full-time financial freelance, financial journalist. And I've done that since... 1986 so that is what 35 years really isn't it just about that is incredible that's um, almost as long as i've been alive uh, <laughs> and, and why freelance is there, is there any reason why why freelance as opposed to um you know be, being an employee well i didn't really like being an employee i've never liked it i found it constraining and because i've been writing in my spare time i had freelance contacts and I got a new commission from the Daily Telegraph at the time actually to and and because of my background which was in charities that dealt with single parents and young unemployed people things like that my background was in explaining benefits and government rules and government right. things and tax tax for people who couldn't afford an accountant so unlike a lot of my colleagues I, I've never done I've never had an investment background or a financial services background I've had a background in in I suppose helping people who can't really afford to, to have financial advice or to have an accountant. So that's my bias and I'm perfectly happy to admit that. Um, and I found as a freelance that I was fairly secure because I had several 
people I worked for. And latterly, when I'd worked for a charity, you know, we were desperate to raise the money. The job felt very insecure. But if you've got several bits of work, if one of the editors suddenly doesn't like you, and that does happen, then, yeah. then you know, you're, you've got four or five others who do. So I've been very lucky. And I got into broadcasting through that system, really, um, of explaining things that other financial journalists didn't do, whether it was tax for low paid people or benefits or government grants, government provision. That was my, uh, my speciality at the time, if you like. Good stuff, good stuff. So, so what, what would you say your, your biggest accomplishment as a journalist is? <laughs> well, I, I have done quite a lot of things that campaigning, I suppose. Um, when I was writing well, I still write for Saga magazine, but years and years ago, we did a campaign about people with war pensions. And if you've got a war pension, you couldn't get help with your council tax. Um, and we did a big campaign and we eventually got just about every local authority in the country to change their policy. So people with war pensions had them ignored when it came to looking if they could get means tested help with their pensions. And I suppose more recently, um, with, through Moneybox, we have had considerable successes. I mean, we have individual successes, like somebody's had 15,000 pounds taken from their bank account. We go to the bank and the bank eventually changes its mind and decides it will refund them. Wow. But more important than that, I think we did play a part in, in two things that are now very familiar to people. One is faster payments. We had, a in, when I was first on Moneybox, which is the early 2000s, I was always asking the banks, why does it take three days, three, three days. working days to get money? <laughs> and we had, so we kept on and on about it. I mean, the BBC doesn't campaign, Moneybox doesn't campaign, but you do have themes that recur. And eventually the banks decided they'd do it. And lo and behold, you can now make a payment and it's gone in seconds. But of course that's brought its own problem, which is in fraud, which has now grown on the back of that, which is an unfortunate oh. byproduct. And the other thing where we have, definitely played a part, and I've heard this from a lot of people in the industry, is what's now called confirmation of payee. I mean, it used to be that if I made a check out to, uh, sorry, if I made a faster payment to Abraham Okasanya, mm. and in fact it went into a bank account with the name of Joe Bloggs, it wouldn't be stopped, because if yeah. I'd given that sort code and number, they wouldn't stop it, and then the money was gone. Now, if, you're, if it's the first time I paid you, and I have to say, it would be the first time I paid you, Abraham. Um, <laughs> then then um, it was, it, it, they would say, well, you know, you want to pay Abraham or Cassandra, but in fact, this is an account run by Joe Bloggs. Do you want to pay it? And I'd say, oh, goodness, I put the wrong number in, or, or it's a thief or something like that. So that's a very important uh, prevention measure. And again, Moneybox definitely played a part the interviews I did with the payment systems regulator definitely played a part in making, I suppose, giving, giving strength to her elbow to make the banks do this, because they didn't want to do it. They kept saying, oh, it's impossible, it's too difficult. Mm. Suddenly they all do it. Well, they don't, actually. <laughs> all the big ones do it. The smaller ones are coming up. That's incredible, Paul. What, what I am, you know, what is truly inspiring about you and what you do is, you know, you're, you're on record for calling financial advice fee um a tax on your wealth a wealth tax uh, yes a wealth tax right okay and um uh, what is your gripe uh, with financial <laughs> advisor and, and how they charge the line i take and you will know this is a financial advisor must be independent 
restricted advisors are no good, they're salespeople. Um, they must have good qualifications, like either a, a financial planner, planning certificate certified, or, or um, SAT financial planner. Um, and the third thing is what you mentioned, that they don't charge a percentage fee. Now, there are circumstances when that might not be a bad idea, but there are two things I think are wrong with it. The first one is, and you know, I get into trouble because I criticize financial advisors. This is bad financial advisors. This isn't good ones. This is bad ones. They'll take that fee every year yeah. and they'll do very little for it. And if you talk to any financial advisor, there's always, I know people like that. Of course, I'm not like that, but I know people like that. They do very little for it. You forget about it. And then 1% comes out of your money every year. And it's not just advisors. It's also the investment fund. 1% comes out every year. Um, and I called it a wealth tax to bring this home to people because, you know, there's an absolute fear and hatred of wealth taxes in this country. <laughs> the response to the paper that was published in the autumn about that. No, you know, I, I'm not wealthy. I don't want to pay a wealth tax. But I brought it home to people by saying, well, actually, if you've got your money invested through many, many financial advisors as well, you'll be having one, two, maybe 3% taken off you every year. So your wealth is going down the whole time. And what is it but a wealth tax? It's your wealth. There are wealth managers. Your wealth is going down. They're taking it. And the danger is that you don't see what they're doing for it. Now, if I was with a financial advisor and they sent me a bill for I don't know, £2,000, I think, oh, uh, uh, is, it, is it worth £2,000? But if I know, oh, they're taking one, one, one and a half, 1% off me, I, I might not realise it would be coming to £2,000 a year. And I might think, you know, well, they ring me up occasionally, they send me the odd email, you know, that's great, you know. Um, but because it's 1%, if you've got, you know, what, £200,000, that's £2,000 a year. And I think the difference between being charged £2,000 and 1% is enormous. So I try to bring it home to people. This is a wealth tax. Just to clarify, you're not anti-people paying, you know, independent chartered financial, certified financial planning. That's good. And, and you're not anti them paying every year, right? No, not at all. Right. No, okay. no, that, that's absolutely so fine. Two, two things I want to pick out of this, and, and, and it's great we're having this conversation. One is that... What do you say to actually vast majority of um, advisors that I know who would say, well, even if we, where we charge, um, you know, percentage-based um, fee, every year we are sending a statement. This is, like, this is a regulatory requirement, by the way, mm -hmm. every year to disclose the fees you know, sort of pounds and pennies to, to, yes. to, to clients. Yes, it is now. So, it didn't right. used to be. Yeah, I know, but but you're still calling it a wealth tax um, when, in actual fact, every year we're sending some sort of invoice or statement to the client saying, "This is how much you pay us each year, mm. um, and this is how much your investment um, manager charges and you know platform charges." And indeed, some clever advisors are pushing that forward and actually highlighting the things, the services that they've, they've offered the clients during that year. I just feel that it's a, it's a massive disservice. I, I know that the, the financial advice, uh, you know, professionals got issues and, you know, I am um, a, a, a big critic as, as, uh, as, as I am um, a member of the community. But 
you know, these nuances where advisors present a statement of value and cost to the, to, to the client each year. How is that a wealth tax? Yeah, well, they have to do that. Um, and it's a wealth tax simply because it comes off your pay. I mean, I pay income tax to in HMRC, but I get a statement every year. It's still a tax. Getting a statement doesn't stop it being a tax. And I think, uh, I mean, these are new regulatory requirements that you have to state in pounds and pence. How prominently, how obvious that is, good financial advisors will do that. And good, and now, of course, because they have to do it, good financial advisors are saying, okay, you paid us the equivalent of 1,800 pounds or two and a half thousand pounds, and look at what you get for it. So they're actually having to say what they get for it. And I think that's a very important step. But that didn't happen before regulation came in. It, it really didn't. The second point I wanted to pick up with you is about the value, right? The value that people get yeah. from, um, you know, working with a good independent financial advisor. Um, we can't, we can measure that value in, in different ways. You know, there's been several research and again, academic research, independent bodies, um, some by, by providers, which I know you're not particularly fan, fan of, that talks about a, you know, the peace of mind that comes with working with a, a financial financial advisor. We saw a little bit of an example of that during the, the coronavirus pandemic when markets were in very difficult position uh, situations and the reassurance that advisors provide during that period. But also there has been attempt to quantify, you know, the, um, you know, tax tax savings, for instance, that comes from working with a financial advisor, the mistakes that you avoid, um, you know, the advisors are talking about examples of people who panicked in March and got out of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, since then the market's gone up, um, you know, 20% or, or whatever. So my, my, my issue with, yes, cost is important, clearly. Um, but my issue is that we often focus on cost without talking about the value that people get out of working with with a good financial planner. Yes, and with a good financial advisor, with if you've got the right amount of money and it is a good advisor, you will get value out of it. And it is worth that charge, whatever it turns out to be. But that doesn't mean all financial advisors are good. I mean, I think from memory, I agree about, with that. About 6,000 have certified or chartered status and in fact one of those was fined £107,000 by the Financial Conduct Authority for mismanaging £6 million of clients money recently. So even if they pass through my filters, they were, it doesn't guarantee a good advisor, absolutely doesn't guarantee it. Um, and of course there are many, many financial advisors who aren't good. There's what, 30 odd thousand financial advisors, 6,000 come into this chartered or certified planning category so the other 20 odd thousand do not many of them are restricted they're not advisors they sell you stuff and i think that is to say all financial advice is good is as bad as saying all financial advice is bad well just just a minor point that again you can't base the again qualifications great i've got too many of it personally but i don't (laughs) think that you can make the statement or you can separate good from the bad just entirely based on qualification no no that's absolutely right but of course it helps you pick someone there are many several websites where you can find financial advisors and if you always make sure you pick independent and you pick um 
good qualifications, it increases your chances. It doesn't mean the rest are rubbish. I mean, I know some brilliant advisors. I have a financial advisor. I, trust I was going to ask, you have a financial advisor? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, you must have a difficult time, though, every time, <laughs> every time I, I, you have a conversation. I, I ignore his advice normally, but um, oh, but I might be about to take it. If you come on to talking to me about where my money is, I'll tell you. Let, let's come to um, investing, right? You know, you 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 come to this, uh, you come into this category of um, crazy people who disagree with Abraham on investing. I call them crazy, right? <laughs> uh, so so you're, you're in that camp. Um, so. You're, you're a pro proponent of what you call um, active cash strategy. Yes. Uh, well, I was. I mean, I still am. I still am. And I'll <laughs> how, tell you, how is that working out for, for you so far? Okay. Active cash, the principle is that you put your money in, in a cash savings account every six months, every year at the most. You look at the best rates. You move your money to the best rate. That way... Over the, the research I did, which I know you didn't agree with, and you were the, the one person who had a, a reasoned argument with me about that research, and this was a few years ago, wasn't it? Um, I, I said that you stood a pretty much the same chance of, of making the same amount of money if you put it active cash or if you invested it in a tracker fund. Now, tracker funds may not be the best place to invest your money, but that was you've got to make a comparison with something. Um, and at the time that was true. Is it true now? I don't know. I haven't updated the figures. I really honestly don't know, but I know the stock market's been up and down, as you say. Um, so I was a proponent of, of cash for, the, for, one, for two, well, for a couple of reasons. First, as a journalist, I get problems brought to me. And I always get people coming to me who've lost money. And they lose money because they've misallocated their money, often to do with advice from someone who they thought was a professional. So they've invested and they're worse off. Um, so I see the problems. I don't, you know, the people who've, well, people who've made a lot of money do come to me actually, but you know, there are exceptions. I mean, if, you know, if, if you just stick a pin in a hundred, a uh, hundred shares, you know, some people will make money, some people won't. I mean, as I used to say, a monkey with a pin could pick shares as well as many advisors, not that advisors tend to pick them nowadays. So I, I came with a great deal of scepticism about it. I also came at a time when uh, cash wasn't making a great deal of money at all, but it was making, it was making more than it is now, which is around about zero. Um, and I suppose the other thing is that, and you know, you mentioned my age and I am approaching the age where I've got to think, well, I'm going to take my retirement money and I'm going to spend it. And the great thing my financial advisor says to me is, you know, Paul, there comes a moment when you have to stop saving and start spending. Right. And I'm kind of approaching that, I think. Um, so what I want to be sure of is that when I say to him, okay, I want to start spending my money, he doesn't say, oh, I've had a dreadful time. You know, it's only worth half what you put in. I don't want that to happen. I am more risk averse than probably anybody. And I know people like you with all your research will say, yeah, but the real risk is not investing because ultimately investing works in the long term. It does. And I always said this to people as well, though I'm not credited with it very often. If you're investing for the long term, which to me is 20 years, other people might say it's 10 or a bit less. Invest your money. Don't do cash for that long period of time. Invest it. Um, 
but make sure charges are low and all this kind of thing. But if it's for the short term, you know, if, if it's for the five years between now and when you want to use your retirement fund, then be very careful that you're not going to be very disappointed when you come to look at it. And the thing that's interested me, you mentioned COVID and the, the difficulties it's causing people. Money is absolutely pouring into cash. People are saving up in cash. And indeed, even in literal banknotes, because the Bank of England, you know, can't find billions of pounds because it's actually all in banknotes. It may well be stored in people's houses. I don't know. Or it may just be used for criminal enterprises. We don't really know. But, you know, people believe in cash. And I know I understand inflation, but what they believe is you've got, you know, notes worth £5,000 in your hands. 10 years from now, you'll still have £5,000. Now, it'd be worth a lot less or a bit less, depending on inflation. But they like to believe in that consistency and trying to persuade them that you can make their money grow faster than that after your charges is, I think, a difficult job for many advisors with many individuals. Um, and can I just say one sort of philosophical thing? Sorry to yes. put it like yeah, this. Sure. I kind of agree with Aristotle, the Greek philosopher. Money is a means of exchange. If I wanted your lovely red cardigan that you're wearing, which I actually really like, I must say, I would, I would give you money and you'd give me the cardigan. That's what money's for. It's not, and if I didn't have the money, I don't want someone else to buy your cardigan and then charge me extra because I had to borrow the money off them. Money is not to make money. Money is a means of exchange. I've got the money. I've made it by working because I do. As you pointed out, I'm still working and I'm in my 70s. Um, and when I want to spend it, I'll spend it. I don't expect my money to work for me or make money for me. I really don't. I think that is... Uh, not least because I don't have a clue what my money would be doing if it was invested. It might be doing things I absolutely fundamentally disagree with. Brilliant, Paul. Thanks for, for, for that. So, so let's go back to that, your, your research. As a matter of fact, credit where it's due, right? So I, at the time, until you, you published this, um, I, I believe it was in 2016. I like the approach. I like the methodology, which was, well, you know, if you looked at every rolling period, every rolling one-year period or two-year period, indeed, you extended it to as much as, um, you know, 20-year period, although the data itself was was only for, I can't remember, maybe 20, to something like 21 years. So it wasn't, it wasn't a lo lot of time. And you, you looked at every rolling uh, you know, periods and, uh, and you compared, you know, cash best, this best rate um, strategy or active cash strategy with, um, you know, a FTSE 100 tracker. And here's what you said. You said over the survey period um, from January of um, 1995 to January of 2016, five-year investment began on the first of each month in active cash beats a, a FTSE 100 share tracker in 76% of 192 um, periods. So you looked at 192 in this particular explanation, five-year period. And yeah. you said, well, active cash beat the FTSE 100 share index 
um, no, just to correct you, I didn't say the FTSE share index. I said money invested in it because that is a different thing. The index will have grown differently. It's money that was actually invested in a real investment fund. I, I agree. Right. And, and therein lies um, some of the issues for me personally. One is that, of course, you've chosen the, you know, the one index that we all ate, right? The FTSE 100 share um, index. That's fine, um, uh, uh, you know, which is fundamentally flawed in its construction. But also when we think about, let's just say this, when I think about the stock market or the, the great companies of the world, which are on the stock market, the FTSE all share, sorry, the FTSE, the, the UK, the UK um, stock market will account for um, now, today, less than 5% of the value of shares across the world, right? And the FTSE 100 will account for even less than that. So it's not a great index, right? The second point I picked up with you about was, well, most people don't invest this way. Certainly, most people who go to a good financial advisors don't invest this way. They will have a much more diversified portfolio and they will have other things in the portfolio, right? And, you know, so, so, so my, my gripe with the research was if you are going to make such a, you know, and you're, you're, you're very influential and, and, you know, people follow your advice, um, if you're going to make that type of very, very strong statement that I think a lot of people are going to be inclined to follow, uh, you know, the data and the research should be a lot more robust and reflective of what a good advisor might recommend from a portfolio point of view, as opposed to, you know, uh, HSBC for the 100 index track. Yeah. Which, okay. which... Let, let, me, let me take up those points. The first point is, was it the right index? Well, I had an open invitation afterwards to anybody to do exactly the same research with another index. No I one did. Took, no one took me up on it. Um, and so, you know, and of course you can pick your index. I'm sure there are indexes that did better. I'm sure there are indexes that did worse. The FTSE 100 is the one that is quoted. Maybe it's my journalistic problem that, you know, that's the one you hear on the news all the time. And of course you can find an advisor who beat the FTSE index or who beat cash. Of course you can. Um, there will be some. There'll be a lot you didn't. And that, you know, I know a lot of people who lost money because they followed them, followed their advice. So yes, it was one index and it was comparing it with active cash. I might add that active cash is now something that, for example, the platform Hargreaves Lansdowne offers. It doesn't use that name because I trademarked it, but it uses something very similar. So yeah. they are recognizing the desire for people to have some kind of active cash management. And they are now offering that service some well at some cost anyway not at great cost at all. A, a little bit of reckoning though paul so before we we came on this interview i said well assuming someone followed paul's advice um and the it wasn't the, advice i gave no one advice i simply <laughs> said this is what the research shows well, i didn't give advice if on the 7th of um I think it was 7th of June. I can't remember now. I did pl pl plot the thing. Yeah, seven, four, four, sorry, 14th of June, 2016. 
if you had invested, I chose three, four indices actually. If you had invested uh, money in, you know, HSBC Futsu All Share Index, and again, I always my point to you about indices is when you're going to use an index, use the global stock market, use everything in the world or, you know, most things, you know, an index that includes most things in the world. Since that day till, till this morning, um, you know, if you invested in FTSE All Share Index, um, your investment would have gone up 53.7%, Paul, 53.7%. Percent. And does that take account uh, of charges? Of course, that includes charges. No, no, that includes all the fund charges in, in the fund. You, mean, that, you no. mean it takes charges off? Because very often that kind of research doesn't take charges off. No, no, these this takes... This was the, real the, money invested in a real tracker fund by HSBC in the all share. This is a, tra is a tracker yeah. fund, correct. Okay. Yes. If you invested that's in That's fine, Vanguard, but that's not a period listen, I looked at. That's listen, not the period I looked I'm at. Just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, if you invested in a Vanguard 60, Vanguard Life Strategy 60, which charges 20, 20 basis points... There was no Vanguard that, tracker when I did my research. There was no Vanguard. Vanguard did not exist. Charges were a lot higher. Vanguard well, didn't brought exist in charges the UK. Down. Yeah, sorry. Vanguard has brought charges down. Yeah. I mean, look, Paul, I guess what I am, what I am saying is that today, today, investing is a lot cheaper than it used to be. There is a lot of, um, you know, knowledge and wisdom. I am, I totally agree with you on the case for low cost. As a matter of fact, I founded an investment management company that charges flat fee. Right, working, working with financial followed advice. my advice, Abraham, which is excellent. Oh, right, right. So, so, so there is a lot we agree on. I guess my worry is: look, there are millions and millions of people um, out there today who are facing, um, you know, frankly, poverty in retirement or low income in re retirement. You and I would want the state provision to be much more than it is today. I think, you know, UK state pension is one of the lowest, um, you know, in, in, in Europe, for a developed Europe, for instance. We would want that to be more, but it's not. And, and the only um, way that I know of for people to enhance their retirement chances and wealth um, is, is to invest in the in yes. the capital market and one final point when it comes to philosophical when i think of uh you know the the the, the, the stock market i am not thinking of that as being something that people put money on i am thinking of this as the global economy there are today there are over forty thousand companies and therefore 40,000 CEOs and millions and millions of employees who go out to work every day to make the goods and services that we use to, to create this channel that we're talking to each other. They're not, you know, they're not, it's not like they're punting money. They are making stuff. And, yep. and as a person, I am putting my money to support these people, clearly, to support the global economy. I cannot see how that in the long term, you know, 10, 20 years can be a losing battle. It cannot. I'm moving on. So, so a couple of things as we start to wrap this up. So I'm interested. How, how do you invest your own retirement money? Yeah. 
Well, I don't, you see. My money is in cash. It's in um, cash? Of yes. course. No, of course. Because it's plenty. I've got plenty of it. I've got enough to last me the rest of my life. I was talking to my advisor about this, and he has said to me several times, very annoyingly, I have to say, though I'm very fond of him, but very annoyingly, um, he says, yes, you've got so much in your pension fund. If only you'd done this, you know, you'd have a lot more than that. And I said, well, yes, I would, as it happens, I know. And he has now pressed me so strongly, and interest rates are now so ridiculous. In fact, it's now quite hard to have a SIP which you have in cash. Yeah. It is hard. Um, and because national savings is no longer there, you have to split it up into chunks of £85,000 if you've got mm. a significant fund. And of course, they don't want to do that work and they would charge for it. So he has now persuaded me, um, though I haven't told him this yet, so if he's watching, it, it'll be interesting, um, that I will allow him to put some of my money into what he recommends, which incidentally is investment trusts uh, in the new year. And we'll see what happens. Um, and of course, with investment trust, as with anything else, they have done well over the last few years, very well. That's partly because they have got reserves and they have used that to continue giving dividends when maybe they shouldn't have been. But now, have they used all those reserves up? I don't know. But look, I pay a financial advisor, not a lot, I have to say, but I do pay him. I've known him for years and I will follow his advice on some of my pension fund. So I have fo obviously <laughs> followed you a lot. I know you are you're pro wealth tax, you're pro um, inheritance tax, and you're also pro what is it a entrepreneurial relief and all that stuff. You want you want them removed? Oh um, yeah, they don't do any good. I mean the, the report <laughs> the the report by the Office for Tax Simplification found that they don't achieve their purpose. They are just ways for people to avoid paying the tax that's due. They, they have no purpose in the real world except tax avoidance. So yes, I'd get rid of all of them. And I'd do it on budget afternoon so that people couldn't take <laughs> forestalling measures. There's no point yes. in, in announcing a tax Selling change 18 them. months yeah. hence. Mm, it just mm. makes a fortune for the accountants. Yeah, I Don't mean, I am, I am also, uh, what's the word? I don't have massive issues with, with inheritance tax, um, probably because I, I think I, 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 know, I, I know the different ways that it can be avoided. Um, wealth tax, I think the problem is how you actually implement that and define wealth. But hey, um, you know, I, I do have a slight issue from a selfish point of view with all the entrepreneurs' relief that you are, uh, that, you know, for, for them. Look, to, okay, to let remove. me ask you this. You, 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 I presume, from what you say, take advantage of it. Has it changed? by one iota what you do? It hasn't, no, 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 I'm, no. I'm talking, well, if, 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 if our businesses work out, yes, I will have, um, you know, the, I'll, I'll pay some of those taxes, but no, absolutely hasn't changed what I do from an entrepreneur. So it's pointless, it's pointless. All it does is <laughs> save you money later I, in life. I don't know, on those, on those very, very hard days, um, you know, as a business person, there's a tiny, tiny little consolation that, um, uh, you know, that, that I wouldn't pay so much tax. But, but it anyway, wouldn't it change matter. what you do. I mean, I didn't think about no. tax for a nanosecond when I gave up my job and became a freelance. And I've paid tax as a self-employed person ever since. I've not pretended to be a company so I can pay less tax. I've paid tax as a self-employed person on everything I've earned. And I'm perfectly happy to do that. Anyway, 
you you've had an incredible career and dare i say you know a good life and you know you still have many many more many more of it to to, to come uh what, what's your big, biggest financial mistake <laughs> i mean apart from keeping my pension fund in cash <laughs> yes that is it that definitely is it yes um, yes okay i'll tell you what happened to me when i was a teenager a young teenager i went to london by myself for the first time and in oxford street which was rather different from Oxford Street now, much seedier. Um, there were three people with a turned up crate doing find the lady with cards, you know, if you, right. the cards were face down. And of course, if, oh, you yeah. could, if you could, they showed you the queen and they moved them around. If you could spot the queen, you won. I put five pounds on it. That was a lot of money to me then, a huge amount of money. And of course I lost. I have never gambled since so it wasn't a mistake it was actually a very good thing but that was one financial mistake um i suppose the other thing the other financial mistakes the things that i look back and think oh i might have done that a bit differently are probably that i didn't move more often move house more often and upscale my house with you know borrowed money and of course when i was younger um you got tax relief on the interest so you know people of my age yeah when they say, oh, we worked hard for this house, it was all subsidized by, by taxpayers. Um, so I think maybe I should have moved more often. I could have had a bigger house, a nicer house perhaps than I have now. I mean, I live in a nice part of London, but it's a small house. So I think I could have been more sensible financially about property, definitely. But those aren't really mistakes. Um, Oh, I never charge people enough. That's another mistake. <laughs> I try. No, I, I don't know. I don't think I've made any great mistakes. I don't think I've made any great, um, brilliant decisions, but I don't think I've made many mistakes. And I think that is perhaps the essence of what I would yeah. advise people about is avoid mistakes. You'll never be a million or a billionaire, but you will never be one of those poor people who writes to me on Moneybox or on other things I do and says, I've got no money or I've just lost 15,000 pounds or 100,000 pounds, or you know, my financial advisor has misadvised me and I've lost money. Um, I only say that because you know, there was this fine for this advisor who lost money for six million, uh, six million pounds for a hundred odd people. Um, so I don't think I've made many mistakes and any serious mistakes, but I've not perhaps taken the chances I could have done at the time I could have taken them. I think that is, I'm too cautious. That's my mistake. Incredible stuff. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you for, for the work you do in financial services. I know that we agree on you know, many things. We disagree on, on probably even many more. All in all, thank you for your work. Thank you for, for, for the incredible value that, that you add. And um, thank you for coming on the program. Abraham, it's been my pleasure. And thank you. Uh, you know, you are one of the people in the industry that I admire, if I can say that. I really do. Ah, I admire the work you do. I love the book you wrote. And I think, you know, you understand things better than many, many people in the financial services industry. I wish they'd listen more to you. You're too generous. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Timeline, and can we just get a word from our sponsor? Ed Carey is Chief Commercial Officer of Timeline. Ed, I've just been talking to Paul about the cost and the value of advice, and you, you have some thoughts on that. 
Thanks, Abraham. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I think it's really important to uh, to recognise that, that clients have lots of choices in terms of what they do with their financial savings and how they plan for their for their retirement and, and life goals, I guess. But we're timeline, you know, we, we passionately believe that advisors are the best route for clients um, to answer that question about, am I going to be OK in retirement? Have I got enough saved? to have the lifestyle that, that, I, that I want. And, and at Timeline here, that's exactly what we do. Um, we help advisors um, demonstrate the value of advice. Mm. Um, we give um, the ability for advisors to produce reports showing clients the probability of different life, life goals. And the client can have real confidence that, that the plan the advisor um, has presented to them is highly likely to um, bear fruit in real life. So advisors love this because it, it really helps them demonstrate to the client why they should be talking to the advisor as opposed to doing it themselves. Ed, thank you very much for that. You're welcome. And that's it for this edition of Retirementals. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together, led by my producer, Hannah Dickinson. Thank you, thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.com co.uk and you can follow me on twitter my handle is abraham on money until next time thank you and goodbye